20 years ago, I was injured on the job, which left me with a severe permanent disability. It forced me to discover my true passion and purpose. It wasn't until I started my direct sales business and later became one of the company's gratitude ambassadors that I realized I am a giver, a humanitarian, a cheerleader, and have a deep desire to inspire others. I had no idea it was possible to have a bigger impact until I launched my podcast to inspire others to live their passion, reclaim their purpose, and be open to so many possibilities. I am your host, Candace Snyder, and this is the Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities Podcast. Hey, we are back for another episode of Passion, Purpose, and Possibilities. And today we are really going to do a deep dive into possibilities. Um, After I introduce my guest and share who she is, what she's all about, um, and we're going to have a really deep conversation. So I would love to welcome my guest, Michaela McGivern. Michaela is a psychic medium and energy medicine practitioner. She helps people heal on all levels, find peace and resolution in their lives, and access their authentic power and expression by releasing stress, emotional wounding, and trauma in the subtle energy body. As a medium, Michaela is the conduit between those who are grieving and their loved ones on the other side by providing opportunities to connect with them through intimate healing conversations. These deep discussions provide healing, hope, and completion for those on both sides of the veil. For the past 23 years, she has been collaborating with her guides to offer new perspectives on personal and business issues. Her psychic readings provide insights that inspire clients to move through challenges, raise their vibration, and discover an optimal path to move forward on. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Michaela, there is so much to what you do and the guidance that you get from these guides. And you have you and I have had a chance to talk just a little bit and it's really just like the tip of the iceberg of what you do and how you connect people both with the living and with those that have passed. Um, And today we're going to dive into a deep discussion, as I had mentioned. But what I want to ask you first is, how did you know that this was your calling? As I mentioned earlier, it took me a long time to figure it out. Um, As a kid, I could see things and hear things, but I didn't mention it. In college, I heard things. And I was freaked out thinking, oh, God, I'm having a psychotic break, but I wasn't. So the door kept opening and it kept closing because I didn't really have anyone to guide me through uh, what I was experiencing or knowing. It's like I knew rocks had consciousness, but how did I explain that to people? You know, when I was my freshman year of college, my friends are going, yeah, right. Um, But I just knew it. And um, Eventually, in my 20s, I did a lot of therapy there, and I started meditating and doing different spiritual practices. And that kind of began to open up things for me, and I'd always had a a big curiosity about healing. 
So when I started as an occupational therapist in the early 80s, I was dealing with people's physical illnesses related to neurological injuries, head injuries, strokes, and other kinds of things. But it was always on the physical. And I wasn't disinterested in that, but I was more interested in what's happening to them as a soul. You know, why are they choosing this journey and what are they learning from it? So I didn't really get too many answers there, but I was very, very curious. And then in my 30s, I started working in hospice work in San Francisco as a therapist. And I found that that work was so rich and rewarding because it was during the AIDS epidemic and people were so open to receiving suggestions that talk about their emotional turmoil, their spiritual challenges. And they just needed someone to be with them. But also there was this process of preparing people to die, which I was very comfortable with somehow or another. It just was like I was really easy with it. And part of it came from my experience when I was very, very young. And I used to sing in a choir and I would see the angels flying around during funerals. So they were all happy. Like, you know, people down below weren't too happy. But the angels were like, this is all good. This is a celebration. You know, we're just supporting this soul to move on. So I had this really strange and curious relationship with death and dying. And my sense was that we don't die. Uh, spiritual beings, our souls go on. And yet nobody really told me that, you know, in my 30s and my 40s. I just kind of understood it. Um, and of course, it depends also what your religious perspective is on dying as to whether or not people believe you go anywhere or is this just the end so that's how it all kind of got set up and then in my 40s I lived in Europe and I wasn't working then but I was exposed to a lot of different things um beginning intuition kind of things with a pendulum flower essences uh energy medicine it just began to sort of present itself and then I moved back to the U.S. in 2000 and I decided after someone had repaired the deviated septum with energy work that I wanted to know about energy work. I was like, wait a minute, my nose has a big bump on it one day, it doesn't have a bump the next day. I was like totally blown away and really, really excited because this person was able to work with all kinds of conditions that I had emotionally and physically with energy. So that opened the door to my being really curious. I think it started about 98 when I lived in Belgium. And then when I came back to the US in 2009, Went back to work as an occupational therapist part-time, but I just jumped in fully uh, into studying shamanism and energy medicine and hands-on healing and all kinds of things. So that opens the door then to clients showing up and their past lives are, you know, very apparent when they're on the table. I'm like, well, how do I know this stuff? <laughs> it's just literally downloaded and showed to, shown to me. So there were things in there about, you know, what happened to them in their past lives and how they died and who was with them and what was the trauma they're still holding. I was like, okay, right. And so from that, then also came in through my training was being able to connect with souls on the other side. So it was a very gradual, organic process. The more I delved into different forms of energy medicine, the more my psychic abilities, mediumship abilities and healing abilities began to expand. So um, eventually, in 2020, I left traditional medicine, you know, after spending a, 
number of months working in the hospital with COVID patients. And, you know, I was kind of, it wasn't that I was ready to leave medicine in that context, but I just needed to really jump into what I was meant to do. So we moved to the East Coast from California, where I had lived for 20 years, and we moved to North Carolina, and I wasn't going to work in a hospital anymore, so it was like, okay, well, I might as well do this energy medicine practice completely, and thank God for Zoom. So it, it was kind of a squirrely path, and yet it was all divinely guided without any any doubt. So at this point, I do the psychic readings, mediumship, and energy medicine healing sessions by Zoom. And sometimes I see people in person. It's really nice. <laughs> so I, I have to be grateful for Zoom. So yes, most definitely. Because I think in the beginning, we were all like, we didn't want Zoom. We wanted to be in person. And it was frustrating to not be able to. But when we look back, it really was a blessing, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't be doing this with you if it wasn't for Zoom. So. Right. This is true. So one of the things that you said as you were sharing your journey on this path was about how you really felt connected to those who knew they were going to die. They knew they were going to pass and to help them prepare for that. And I feel that there's not a lot of people that could do that. I I know I couldn't. I mean, I experienced just watching my father pass. Um, but I don't think that I, you know, I think I'm too like emotional and in not a good way to be able to support somebody. So can you just share like a little bit of what that maybe felt like, uh, how you were drawn to it? Because I feel like there's not that many of us that could relate. Yeah. I don't think I was very conscious of it, but what was so uniquely beautiful about working with the AIDS patients was that they were so open-hearted as a rule. I mean, that's just my experience of them as a group. They were totally willing to look their partners and their friends in the eyes and say, thank you. They were so vulnerable. They needed comfort literally so i taught them how to work with bodies and how do you position bodies and how do you do things more easily when you're disabled which was right up my alley as a therapist but the most critical thing for me was their willingness to talk about their fear of dying or their lack of fear of dying what they believed in um what they wanted and we don't usually have those conversations with people as a rule and I'm not a very good chit-chat person. In fact, I'm kind of not good at it at all. I don't really do well with small talk. <laughs> so, so I was just like in my element, being very intimate and open-hearted with these guys. Sometimes it was women also. And just being willing to listen, to be compassionate and supportive with them. I think because I'd already had a lot of exposure personally to divine beings and i know that i had a lot of protection growing up or i wouldn't be here i have a real faith and a direct experience that spirit shows up in all these different forms to assist people and i also had the experience that souls move on again nobody really told me that but i 
I knew that we leave our body, but we continue to grow. So I could offer that as a potential option for some of these people if they were open to it. And also just to reassure them that their loved ones were going to be there because I knew that. So part of it was just cumulative um, experiences I had. And because of that, I am and was not at that time afraid of dying. I had been with my father when he passed. I was 28. We kind of ushered him in through the last two weeks of his life. Um, I can't explain it any better than I see death as a transition versus a final passage. I mean, there is a group called Final Passages, and it's a very beautiful group that helps people with death and dying. But for me, it's, it's a transition. It's not um, the end. It's the end of this physical body that we carry around with us and we inhabit for a lifetime. And we get to have all these great experiences or not so great experiences with. But this is just a vehicle for our soul to expand and to grow and ultimately to really connect with what we're about, which is love. Sometimes we have to peel away a lot of layers to get to it. My, I do know this firsthand <laughs> to, to, to get to the point where, you, oh, I am this divine light. I am this divine energy. I'm made of love. Sometimes there's a lot of housekeeping that has to happen before we get there. But that was the beauty of working in, in, in hospice at that time, that people were just so open to that realm that it touched me and I was grateful to be there because of the intimacy and their vulnerability. It was, it was like your, it was like kind of divine intervention in the sense that you were the right person to be there to, to help support them. And you, when you had mentioned that uh, we're just, it's like a transition. We go through these transitions and that it's not the end. And I, that's the part that gives people the most hope and the feeling that they're never without their loved one, right? Their loved one is, is always with them in some capacity, in some form. And that is also where all the love comes in. And I guess it's trying to help people to be really open that this exists if you want it to exist. I, for one, like to believe that my brother and my father are still around, you know, <laughs> I talk to them as if they're here listening and I know that it gives me comfort. Mm -hmm. So I know you've helped so many people to also go through grieving and, and have that comfort to know that their loved one might not physically be here, but they are still around. And a topic that you and I um, talked about is when it comes to suicide, there is a lot of things that are misunderstood. And there are a lot of different reasons why suicide may happen. And I think you and I, some respect, have been put here to have this discussion because suicide typically is a taboo subject, right? Yes. So the more we talk about it, and the more we share about it, and the more we explain it as best we can, the more people we can help. Yeah. Right? Now, I've had the experience of losing someone to suicide. I lost my brother 20 years ago. 
when um, he took his own, own life. And sometimes I can really rationalize and say, this is why it happened. And then there's other days where I'm thinking about it and I don't have any clue why it happened. So I think the best place for us to start is like the beginning of, you know, what is it? Why does it happen? And then maybe we can talk about all the reasons that it could happen. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So before I got on this call, as I explained to you, I was feeling a little fuzzy headed and tired. So kind of like confused because so I just laid down and I said, all right, I asked my guides, what are you trying to tell me? Because <laughs> I was like not clear. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So they basically gave this outline of all the different ways that people, quote unquote, suicide. And it opened up so many possibilities that I hadn't kind of considered under this heading. So I'm just going to lay some of those out and then we'll talk in more detail. One of them is the medically assisted suicide. So in California, you can obtain medical assistance to die if you have a terminal diagnosis. So one person I know gathered his his family around, said his goodbyes, took the medication, and died very peacefully and happily. That was a beautiful way, but it's called medically assisted suicide because he chose to end his own life. But he did it with a very clear consciousness. It wasn't like he wasn't depressed, he wasn't angry, he wasn't hopeless. He recognized that his body was no longer functioning. He didn't want to burden his family, and he frankly didn't want to go go that way. It's kind of like let's take our pets out before they really suffer. You know, it's it's was done with compassion. And yet I know another person who was at the end of her life, had stage four cancer, asked for medical assisted medication. It's a suicide. Most people it takes three to five maximum hours. This person took 15 hours to leave her body, which absolutely freaked everybody out because they thought, what have we done wrong? Why is this happening? Well, I know this person well, and I know I contacted her on the other side, and she had a huge amount of unresolved trauma in her life. Very, very much needed to have control. And even though she chose this, as a way of leaving, there was a lot of stuff she was not ready to deal with. And it was a lot of dark, heavy, difficult energy. And so she had a hard time leaving her body. So she was conscious, she made a choice. But in that process, all this stuff that had been unprocessed for her started to come up. And it created tremendous turmoil. So that's one way. Then there are um, the accidental suicides, and I've talked to a number of people, a number of people who one was experimenting with a drug, didn't really know much about it, and he didn't mean to overdose, and he did. And he was like, got to the other side, like, wait a minute, I wasn't intending to die, but they called it a suicide. In fact, he works with me as a guide. He's like, okay, well, let me do something constructive here. But that wasn't what he was trying to do. So there's accidental suicides. And then there was another case kind of like in that category of the fellow was on drugs, 
really not in sound of a sound mind and accidentally lit uh, a cabin on fire. So had he not been on the drugs, had he not been, had he been in a sound mind, he probably wouldn't have died by, by fire. And they called that suicide. But it was kind of a borderline. Was he really intending to die there? No. But circumstances led to that, his death that way. Um, there are other people that I can think of who, of course, are in, have intentionally take their lives. You're feeling hopeless, useless, depressed. A lot of vets are taking their lives in incredible numbers now. People with severe PTSD, severe unresolved trauma, and people with psychiatric disorders um, are taking their lives. And also people just who cannot handle feeling unloved, unwanted, people on the street. You know, there are a lot of circumstances where people are in tremendous pain and don't have anywhere to turn to for help and don't see any other options. Um, so that's another area of it. Then there's kind of this other category, like people who are drug addicts. Well, most people who are drug addicts are addicted because they have tremendous trauma that has not been addressed. And they can't cope with it anymore. So they'd rather numb out or move to a different reality than to deal with the pain of that trauma. So many of them are on drugs, but some of them intentionally or unintentionally overdose to remove themselves from that trauma. So again, is, is it totally intentional, unintentional, or is it just they can no longer cope with this, the deck of cards that they have been dealt with? And then sort of the last area that I was looking at, which might be a little edgy for some of your listeners, are people who have been through a lot of trauma and have attracted a lot of dark energies to them. And these dark energies can actually take over their thinking and they think the dark energies are telling them to end their life or do something that's dangerous to themselves. So they lose a distinction between themselves and this energy because it is very, very strong. And um, so those, are they actually suiciding? Not really. It's more the influence of this other energy that is guiding it. So this is not, in my mind, a very cut and dry topic. The commonality with those who intentionally do it, is deep, unresolved trauma and pain that they just do not know how to cope with. So I found it was kind of fascinating when I looked at the possibilities that exist under this heading. And the taboo has to do more with the word sin. It's a sin to end your life. Well, was it a sin for the man and the woman who had cancer to consciously end their lives? I'm not one to say this. Is it a sin for someone who is so desperate they can no longer face the world and can't think clearly and don't know how to get help? Sometimes there's a lot of religious influence that tells people, if you're in too much pain, you're wrong to take your life. I frankly don't think they're wrong or right. I just have compassion for them. So that gets a little edgy for people. <laughs> because yeah. in some faiths, that's that's the belief. In other faiths, it's not. Um, so that's part of the taboo. And the other taboo is really that 
people feel enormously guilty that they haven't been able to help somebody who is feeling desperate enough to take their life. They feel somewhat responsible, perhaps, that they didn't A, ask, B, intervene, C, know what to do, D, do their life differently with them. You know, there's a lot of stuff to process for those family members or loved ones who were directly affected by someone taking their life. And yet, generally speaking, and I'm being very generic here, it's a personal choice. You know, whether I eat peanut butter for breakfast or you eat sunflower butter for breakfast has nothing to do with anybody else. It's just your choice. Okay, this is a little more weight. (laughs) But if I choose to end my life, or I could choose to continue it, that is my soul exploring that decision. From my perspective, we have an endless number of lifetimes to explore. So maybe one life I take my life, another time I save someone's life. I'm exploring what's it like to be in that terribly painful, difficult space. What's it like to be in that very compassionate space? There's a million gazillion different ways to explore being a soul. So you get to the other side and you get to some of the people say, I did not know I was so loved. I did not know this many people cared about me. I so regret that I caused them pain. And the other might say, I'm so sorry I didn't ask for help. I really regret that I didn't know how to ask for help. So I haven't heard. And there are people who I've talked to on the other side who do feel remorseful. They're like, oh, I didn't see what other, other possibilities there were to dealing with the challenge that I was experiencing. It was so overwhelming. But again, it wasn't like, I did this because Harry did that. It's almost never that. This is why is, uh, someone like you, someone who has these abilities um, to connect on the other side, can be so helpful to those of us that are still you know, here to try to understand. Most people, I think, they might find it a challenge to believe that they can connect with a loved one after they've passed. I feel that if more people were open to the possibility of being able to connect with someone who passed, they would definitely, they would have more compassion being here left on the planet Um, instead of assuming or projecting all the, the negative feelings. If you could understand the person that's gone and what their soul is saying, I mean, what a, what a relief to, to be able to live with more compassion and understanding and get through your own personal grief of not having this person physically with you. Right. I think you say it beautifully. And that's how I experience it. There are mediums who work differently from how I work. They might be more evidentially based. Um, It isn't how I work. My mission (laughs) as a medium is to really 
connect people deeply and intimately, to have conversations they couldn't have when they were alive, to maybe clear up misunderstandings, to do things like, will you please forgive me? Oh, and yes, I do forgive you. And was it okay that I did blah, blah, blah when you were dying? And, you know, how, what's it like on the other side? And, you know, they're, they're intimate conversations. And sometimes I remember this one woman who came to me and she said, All right, I need to talk to my dad. I'm like, Okay, cool. And her father had left her some property, but her father had a brother who was a crook. And this brother stole the property would not let the daughter take possession of the property. And he was in bed with all the magistrates and judges and people in his local government so that when it got to court, it got thrown out. So her hands were like tied and every, and he was living off the property and charging rent and, excuse me. <coughs> you know, he had no conscience. It was like, he didn't care. He just did what he wanted to do. So she says to me, Okay, can we talk to my dad? I'm like, sure. So the dad just kind of, who's passed over, gives her some great advice about how to handle it. It wasn't very easy. It wasn't like clear cut how to deal with this crook who was in bed with all the other local crooks in government. <laughs> but he did give her some really good practical advice and some spiritual advice. So some that's another area that sometimes will come up in mediumship. I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, I told the story yesterday to somebody. She had a loving husband, and she really missed him. And she says, "Are you around?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm around." She says, "Well, how do I know?" He says, "Well, I'm, I'm the turkey in the backyard." She goes, "No, you cannot be a turkey. Like, how awful to be a turkey!" And he starts laughing. He goes, "Yeah, I'm a turkey." She's like, "Hmm, right, okay." And then I had this like little. <laughs> bleak moment i said hang on why don't we look and see what turkey medicine is about and of course the, the only the first thing i pull up turkey medicines they're reliable they're family centered they're loving they're giving they're supportive it's just exactly how her husband was and then so she went okay okay i get it you can be a turkey you know so there can be humor there too and, and people on the other side when you can tell you how they can connect with you Sometimes people on the other side are not quite ready to connect, okay? Sometimes they have to go through their own transition process. They have to heal. They have to put things in perspective. Sometimes, like my father wasn't available to me for many, many, many years. He had a pretty interesting and challenging life. He didn't come around for a long time. And then he was ready to communicate. But it was decades. Other people are like, hi, I'm here, you know, instantly. Some people stay on this earth plane. Some people don't. Some people stay on the earth plane to kind of be around, support, connect with, help their loved ones through things, you know, until they cross over. And other people go, okay, hasta luego. I'm going to go do my spiritual journey. You know, and if you need me, call me, but I'm not like hanging in your backyard like a turkey. You know? <laughs> I got other things to do. It doesn't mean they're not available. It means... Souls have their own agendas after they cross, just like we do here. Like, you know, your best friend isn't always on the phone with you or in person. They're off doing other things. So the same thing happens here. 
So some are really around a lot. Some are around not too much. Some come and go depending on what they're up to. But you can connect with them. And sometimes that's what's helpful in a reading is to learn, all right, how do I connect with you? And it's unique for everybody. Some people you connect for your heart. Some people you wait for the open sign. Some people you look for the balloon to show up, the whatever sign or symbol. Or you look, you know, there are many different ways to connect. Some people talk to their loved ones in their dreams. So that's another aspect of mediumship that's really helpful is, well, how do I connect with my loved one? And some of them come in when you don't want them to come in. I have some relatives who come into my energy structure and like, hi, I'm here. I'm like, uh, hello, I'm not really ready to talk to you. Could you please leave? Because you're giving me a headache. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Gator. So, you know, some of them are intrusive. Some of them are more subtle. <laughs> There's all these different options. There is no one way for anything in life, whether it's living or dying. You know, so just to dispel anybody's myths. Sorry <laughs> to blow your blow your ideas. I do have a question for, and I'm I'm thinking that our listeners, there probably are many people that feel this way, where they've lost a loved one, and they want to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And they haven't had any, they haven't noticed any signs or anything around them that would let them know that this person was around, their soul was around. Is there some type of advice you could offer to somebody who's really wanting to connect with a loved one that is no longer with them? I could offer some advice and it may or may not work. Okay. but this. The connection is all about love. Okay? It's that simple. The love never stops once the person leaves the body. You know, like, do you still love your pet that passed over? Yeah. Can you still feel your pet? Yeah. Same thing with people. So when you connect in through your heart, imagine a heartstring of love going from your heart to their heart. That's it's like opening up a telephone line. So in my generation, we played telephone with a can on both ends and then a, a wax piece of cord between them. And we pretended that we could hear, you know, they were 30 feet down the, the yard and you pretended that you could hear them on the telephone. That's the same concept. So you, you create a connection through your heart, you pull in the love and you ask them to connect, okay? You ask them to hear. You might ask them, okay, could you, I would like it if you would show me your present when I see balloons or the number 11 or when I see a certain bouquet of flowers, carnations, or when I hear a certain song or I see a pink ribbon. I mean, it can be anything that is meaningful that the other person would know and you would know. For example, my father would play Moon River on the piano. So whenever I hear Moon River, I always think of my dad. So it can be your own private way to connect. So connect through the heart, through love, and ask if they are willing to connect with you through whatever you set up. Turkeys are pretty available. They aren't all taken. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of what, what did you share with that person that they would understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And then the third one is suspend. If you ask a question, suspend your left brain desire to fix, control, understand, predict. Just suspend your left brain and stay in an open, receptive place with no agenda to see what comes back. You might get a message through words. You might get an image. You might get a sensation in your body. You might see something, depending on how your intuition is wired. Or you might just know something. Some people might get a smell. Those are all the ways that our intuition works. Um, the smell is the least common. Hearing and, and seeing are the more common ones, and the others are in between. Um, I, again, I'm just speaking generically. People can have a mixture of those experiences or one predominant or, or whatever. Um, so those are the sort of the simple steps. And the other thing is be clear. If you want to have a communication, ask a clear question or make a clear statement. When I'm doing readings, I see the people fuzzy questions get fuzzy answers. You know, if you want guidance, be clear about what you're asking for guidance on. And, and you then be be willing to know that it may not happen at that moment in time. Okay? Because people on the other side are not working in linear time. Just because I asked my dad for an answer now, if I'm new at it, doesn't mean I'm going to get it right away. And it might come in an unusual way. So be prepared for serendipity or synchronicities. Oh, I asked about that. And here's this podcast talking about it. Or somebody just gave me a book. Or how about that song? So stay open to how it comes in, but don't be attached to when, where, and the when and where. It's not on our timeline. Can you give an example of a fuzzy question versus a clear question, just so our listeners can know if they're <laughs> working on this themselves? <laughs> oh, yeah. What am I supposed to do with my life? Pretty fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dad, is it really the best idea, my highest choice for me to go down this MBA track? Should I go study mediumship with Suzanne Giesman? Should I go to the Polytechnic Institute and get a PhD? Should I have a baby on my own? Should I be a single mom or dad? I mean, clear, focused. Another fuzzy question might be, um, did you love me as much as you love my siblings? <laughs> It's not even a fuzzy question. It's a loaded question. If you wanted to clarify, it might be, if, I, if somebody was in a mediumship session with me, I might say, can we clarify this a little bit? I might say, what did you experience from your father vis-a-vis -vis blah, blah, blah? So somebody might have said, I had the sense that my father liked my sister and loved my sister way more than me. And, and if that's the case, A, is it the case? And B, if so, why? So that actually happened in my family. <laughs> and it created a lot of havoc. I never understood it until I actually got the download. Why? And there was a secret behind it. So the fuzzy question might be, did you love me as much as Susie? So if it's an, this is my experience, can I validate that with you? 
that's a clearer question. Okay. I think that's really helpful because I, I think a lot of us, myself included, sometimes I will ask these fuzzy questions and, and not think that I, I mean, I never even thought about it. It's just to me, it was a question, but yeah. to have you say, to be, you know, more concise and clear about it is definitely helpful. And I'm very open to the signs. It's to the point where I don't, it's not like I go looking for them. They just appear. And when they appear, then I know that, you know, more so my brother than my father. Father doesn't show up as much, but my brother shows up pretty often. Um, And it's pretty funny because a lot of my friends on Facebook, they know I'm all about the signs. So when I get like these signs, um, music, numbers, things like that. I'm sharing it and everybody's like behind me and they're like excited for, for me. They like join in yeah. it. So um, I don't know. It makes me feel better. It just, it really does make me feel less sad that he's not here or that they're both not here. Yeah. And one thing I can say that um, people forget is that we continue to be in relationship with our loved ones when we pass over. Like there's a big party. Hey, welcome to the side. Come on over. <laughs> I don't know if they have the champagnes any good, so I'll let you know when I get there. But there is this unification. And we've been with many of our loved ones many, many, many lifetimes. Some of them too many. <laughs> Some of them just the right amount. You know, because we're, we're traveling as souls together to teach each other, to learn things. So we often will reconstellate the same souls from lifetime to lifetime. Maybe the roles will be reversed or swapped or, or a little different or the same. But the themes that we're trying to work out often just keep repeating lifetime to lifetime. So it's not like they're unfamiliar to us, which you know, is great. And sometimes it's a little challenging. It depends on what we're working out. <laughs> I mean, we've all met people and instantly it's like, oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to see you again. I felt that way about my son's girlfriend. There was like a millisecond between saying hello and feeling like I loved her instantly. It was like fascinating. And we just sat right down and got started doing stuff together. And so that's an example of someone I've been with in other lifetimes. And here she is again. And, and I will continue to be with her you know, after one of us passes and both of us pass. See, that's where I feel like you really need to have like an awareness, maybe if it's not conscious, but like subconscious, that when you meet somebody, if you, I mean, I've met people where I felt like I've known them a lifetime, but I never, until having this conversation with you right now, I never even thought that maybe I met them in a different lifetime. Oh, I'm glad you get that one. I find that to be absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So there are people you meet, you're instantly drawn to them. And then there's all this drama like, wow, this is way more drama than I'm ready for. And it's probably a karmic relationship that you had with somebody in a past life. And here it is again going, hi, are you ready to resolve it now? Because <laughs> here it is again. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's kind of like, the range of very sweet to very challenging. 
And, and those lifetimes and those themes go with us from lifetime to lifetime. So the guides are saying to me, so one of the things you can take away from this conversation is clean up your stuff with people in this lifetime. So A, you're more in a place of grace with them and, and a place of love and forgiveness. So that involves saying, Please forgive me for being a toad. Please forgive me for not showing up in your birthday. Please forgive me for being a terrible little sister to you. You know, whatever. And then I forgive you for being a toad, not showing up on my birthday and being a terrible little brother. You know, the, and then it's like, thank you for the lessons you brought to me. You don't necessarily have to say those out loud, but thank you for showing me the shadow parts of myself that I didn't really want to own that I thought were all about you that I projected onto you. Oh, and then this is related to the Ohopona prayer. And then it's like, I take 100% responsibility for my part in the relationship. And then the last one is, of course, I love you and thank you. So part of the hospice work that I, winding it back in there, is people were taking inventory of their lives in their final days. And saying those kinds of things to their partners, their friends, their supportive loved ones. And it's never too late to do that. So one of the options for the family gatherings coming up in the holiday season, instead of having those political discussions, <laughs> you know, could I have a heart-clearing discussion? I really want to say I'm so sorry. And will you forgive me for this? And I've been reflecting on how generous you've been with me over the years. And I really accept responsibility for that really difficult event that we had when we were, you know, in the woods when we were seven or 17 or 47. And I'm really sorry. And, and I really love you. And if you've never said you love someone who to a family or a loved one or friend, because it just wasn't done in your family, try it out this season. Because I've never heard anyone going to their deathbed saying, I'm so glad I didn't say I loved Harry or Mary or my son or my daughter. It's just the opposite. So one way to die peacefully and to clean up some of that is to do those, those kinds of things. It's a great preparation for, for death, but it's also a great way to move forward with, with a much clearer, cleaner consciousness. And if you can't have the conversation, you can always write a letter. I did that with my ex-husband. It was a very, 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 very dramatic, tumultuous, awful relationship. <laughs> and 10 years later, I, I wrote a letter after we separated. I wrote a letter and I felt he never responded, which was fine. I didn't need him to. But I kind of owned all my stuff. And I said, I hope you'll forgive me. And it was so liberating. And so when I saw him at my daughter's wedding, it was like I didn't have anything else to say to him. So part of preparing to die, from my viewpoint, is living in a, a more conscious way of just being vulnerable, saying, yeah, I really didn't handle that well, and please forgive me. And I just love you to bits in any way, shape, or form that it works for you, whether it's, do not do it in a text, though. Do not do it on a telephone call. Well, unless it's really the only way you can do it. Face-to-face -face is better. A letter is great. Don't text it, though. Okay? 
These are intimate conversations, so find intimate ways to communicate them if possible. If Zoom is the best you can do, that's what you do. And then when you get to people go to the other side, they're going to feel so much freer. And so will you feel freer being alive? I love that you shared all this. I'm so glad our conversation went in this direction because, you know, we're not scripted. We just talk based on the way the conversation is going. And I think everything you shared today was so important from trying to understand the different types of suicide and and why it may happen um, all the way to talking to our loved ones that have passed and to try to keep them close in our heart to, to sharing these, like making amends. There's like so much here that we talked about and that you shared. And I know that you and I could talk about a million more things, right? You'll yes. definitely need to come back on the podcast and talk about some of these other topics that I know that you're really passionate about. But how can our listeners connect with you if they want to reach out to you for, for help and guidance or anything else that you may offer? So I'm a little old fashioned. <laughs> um, the best way is to go to my website, which is MichaelaMcGivern.com. Go under schedule and schedule a discovery call. It's a complimentary 30 minute call. So you can talk to me, look at me. You know, figure out if you resonate with what I have to offer, and I'll tell you if I can help you. Um, and then we can figure out what's the best way to go from there. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook very intermittently. It's not reliable. So <laughs> if you want to talk to me, go to my website, book a discovery call, or send me an email. That's the best way. Um, you'll get a response from me very quickly. If you wait for me on Facebook or LinkedIn, it could be a while. <laughs> and you will not find me on Instagram or any other social media because I'm just not there. I don't know. I'm kind I of get it. I, I totally get it. <laughs> just, I just, I have a puppy now. I'm actually volunteering for the Center for Conscious Living and Dying. You know, I'm doing a healing class. I just don't have that much time for it, but I do have time for people at discovery calls and I'm always happy to reach back. So well, it has been a total pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> well, all of your links will be in our show notes. So people will be able to find you and connect with you, have your website, your email. Kindness looks good on everyone. And that's why the Passion, Purpose and Possibilities podcast has partnered with The Kindness Cause, a creatively curated online shopping experience of fashion forward gifts that donate to nonprofit organizations to help you shop with purpose and donate in style. Together, our mission is to spread kindness, give back and empower individuals to pursue their dreams through our exclusive line of inspirational merchandise that not only uplifts your spirits, but also gives back to those in need. Every purchase donates to a charitable nonprofit organization. To see this exclusive line, make a purchase and support a cause, head over to the show notes for the direct link.
Okay. So on the podcast, you know, I have to ask the three P questions around the, around passion, purpose, and possibilities. Okay. Yep. Okay. So the first question is, what is something you're passionate about that people might not know about you? I'm actually really passionate about being um, a conscious consumer in terms of the resources we have. So I'm a little obsessive or maybe a lot obsessive about using water because I lived in California for a long time where there was a drought. And even though I'm in North Carolina, we now have a drought. And for me, water is life and we are going to have too little of it in the future. So. Okay, I'm a little obsessive about it. I own it. But I also feel that the more I respect that, the more I appreciate it. Well, and that's, it's an important thing. We can't live without it. So, you know, there are those that are passionate about it, that they have to share it, right? And a lot of people don't know. I have a friend who lives in California, and she's a landscape designer. And she, her specialty is helping people with their gardens and landscaping where they're using very little water. So, yeah, we have to share about it. I'm happy to hear it because 150 years ago, people didn't turn on a tap. For millions of years, people did not use water the way we use it now, which is why we have water now. But because of the way we use water, we have a diminishing supply available to us so yeah it's just my little well I'm glad I'm glad but I have not heard anybody say that on the podcast yet you're the first (laughs) and I bet you now it comes up more often because now it's like we put it out there to the universe and so more people will be talking about it so that's good (laughs) okay the second question is what is your definition of purpose For myself or in general? Either or. I think purpose is largely driven by what your soul is here to explore and grow into. So for me, my soul has been driven since the time I was just itty bitty to discover light and love and healing and what's true for me. In, in regard, in relationship to those three things. And so that's, that's what I'm called to do here. I love that. And that's definitely what comes through, through Michaela. Most definitely. Thank you. Okay. The last question is, is there a possibility, a dream or a vision you have that hasn't come to fruition yet? And I know, I'm sure you probably have a lot. <laughs> Well, my immediate dream is that some miraculous wake-up call will happen in the Middle East Mm. and in Russia and in Ukraine and in Africa that people will just go, to what end are these actions? And is there an alternative way to resolve this conflict? And that's a rather massive dream for humanity, but it's really about waking up to love and seeing everybody as other loved and loving beings. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing the things we're doing. 
So it's, I'm not sure that will happen in my lifetime, but I'd be pretty thrilled if it did. So it's really a vision of peace and allowing the love to be stronger than the hate and to actually understand that hate comes from a very pained place and love is what will heal it ultimately. Well said. Thank you. Love that. Mm -hmm. Well, Michaela, this has been a wonderful interview and discussion, and I'm so glad that you came on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure exploring things with you and watching how things unfolded. And it's lovely to meet you. Thank you for doing what you're doing, Candace. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please submit a rating and review and share with a friend. This helps us reach more listeners so we can make a bigger impact. From time to time, we share our reviews live on our episode. Your review could be the next one we share. Please head on over to our website, passion, purpose, and possibilities.co to receive a free gift I am waiting for you. And if you heard something today that truly inspired you, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at Candace Snyder at passion, purpose, and possibilities.co. Thank you again for listening.